Chapter Nineteen of Tenterhooks by Ada Leveson. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Helen Taylor. Chapter Nineteen, An Extraordinary Afternoon. Aylmer guessed at once she had seen him driving, being a man of sense and not an impossible hero in a feuilleton. Instead of going away again and leaving the misunderstanding to ripen, he went to the telephone, endeavoured to get on and to explain in a few words what had obviously happened. To follow the explanation by an immediate visit was his plan, though of course slightly irritated that she had seen him under circumstances conveying a false impression. On the other hand, he was delighted at the pique her letter showed, especially coming immediately after the almost tender letter in Paris. He rang and rang, and used language, and after much difficulty getting an answer, he asked why could he not get on, a pathetic question asked plaintively by many people, not only on the telephone. The line is out of order. In about twenty minutes he was at her door. The lift seemed to him preternaturally slow. Mrs. Ottley? Mrs. Ottley's not at home, sir. At his blank expression, the servant, who knew him and, of course, liked him, as they always did, offered the further information that Mrs. Ottley had gone out for the whole afternoon. "'Are the children at home, or out with Miss Townsend?' "'The children are out, sir, but not with Miss Townsend. They're spending the day with their grandmother.' "'Oh. Do you happen to know if Mr. and Mrs. Ottley will be home to dinner?' "'I've heard nothing to the contrary, sir.' "'May I come in and write a note?' He went into the little drawing-room. It was intensely associated with her. He felt a little ému. There was the writing-table, there the bookcase, the few chairs, the grey walls, some pale roses fading in a pewter vase. The restfulness of the surroundings filled him, and feeling happier, he wrote on the grey note-paper. "'Dear Mrs. Ottley, I arrived early this morning. I started, in fact, from Paris immediately after receiving a few lines you very kindly sent me there. I'm so disappointed not to see you.' Unless I hear to the contrary, and even if I do, I think, I propose to come round this evening about nine and tell you and Bruce all about my travels. Excuse my country manners in thus inviting myself, but I know you will say no if you don't want me, and in that case I shall have to come another time very soon, instead, as I really must see you and show you something I've got for Archie. Yours always, he paused and then added, sincerely, Elmer Ross. He went to his club, there to try and pass the time until the evening. He meant to go in the evening, even if she put him off again, and, if they were out, to wait until they returned, pretending he had not heard from her again. He was no better. He had been away six weeks, and was rather more in love than ever. He would only see her. She did want to see him before they all separated for the summer. He could not think further than of the immediate future. He would see her. They could make plans afterwards. Of course, the letter was simply pique. She had given herself away, twice, once in the angry letter, also in the previous one to Paris. Where was she now? What did it mean? Why did she go out for the whole afternoon? Where was she? After Edith had written and sent her letter to Aylmer in the morning, Mrs. Otley the elder came to fetch the children to dine, and Edith told Miss Townsend to go for the afternoon. She was glad she would be absolutely alone. "'Aren't you very well, dear Mrs. Ottley?' asked the young lady in her sweet, sympathetic way. Edith was fond of her, and by implication only, occasionally confided in her on other subjects than the children. 
Today, however, Edith answered that she was very well indeed, but was going to see about things before they went away. "'I don't know how we shall manage without you for the holidays, Miss Townsend. I think you had better come with us for the first fortnight, if you don't mind very much.' Miss Townsend said she would do whatever Edith liked. She could easily arrange to go with them at once. This was a relief, for just at this moment Edith felt as if even the children would be a burden. Sweet, gentle Miss Townsend went away. She was dressed rather like herself, Edith observed. She imitated Edith. She had the soft, graceful manner and sweet voice of her employer. She was very slim and had a pretty figure, but was entirely without Edith's charm or beauty. Vaguely, Edith wondered if she would ever have a love affair, ever marry. She hoped so, but, selfishly, not till Archie went to Eton. Then she found herself looking at her lonely lunch. She tried to eat, gave it up, and asked for a cup of tea. At last she could bear the flat no longer. It was a glorious day, very hot. Edith felt peculiar. She thought that if she spent all the afternoon out and alone it would comfort her, and she would think it out. Trees and sky and sun had always a soothing effect on her. She went out, walked a little, felt worried by the crowd of shoppers swarming to Sloane Street and the Brompton Road, got into a taxi and drove to the gates of Kensington Gardens, opposite Kensington Gore. Here she soon found a seat. At this time of day the gardens were rather unoccupied, and in the burning July afternoon she felt almost as if in the country. She took off her gloves— a gesture habitual with her whenever possible. She looked utterly restful. She had nothing in her hands, for she never carried either a parasol or a bag, nor even in winter a muff or in the evening a fan. All these little accessories seemed unnecessary to her. She liked to simplify. She hated fuss, anything worrying, agitating. And now she felt deeply miserable, perturbed, and agitated, what a punishment for giving way to that half-coquettish, half-self-indulgent impulse that had made her write to Paris. She had begged him to come back while really he was here, and had not even let her know. She had never liked what she had heard of Mavis Argles, but had vaguely pitied her, wondering what Vincy saw in her, and wishing to believe the best. Now she assumed the worst. As soon as Vincy had gone out of town— he was staying in Surrey with some of his relatives, she, the minx, began flirting or carrying on with Aylmer. How far had it gone? she wondered jealously. She did not believe Aylmer's love-making to be harmless. He was so easily carried away. His feelings were impulsive. Yet it was only a very short time since Vincy had told her of Aylmer's miserable letter. Edith was not interested in herself, and seldom thought much of her own feelings, but she hated self-deception, and now she faced facts. She adored Aylmer. It had been purely jealousy that made her write to Paris so touchingly, asking him to come back. Vague fears that, if he were so depressed in Spain, perhaps he might try by amusements to forget her in Paris. He had once said to her that, of all places, he thought Paris the least attractive for a romance, because it was all so obvious, so prepared, so professional. He liked the unexpected, the veiled and somewhat more hypocritical atmosphere, and in the fogs of London, he had said, were more romantic mysteries than in any other city. Still, she had feared, and besides, she longed to see him. So she had unbent and thought herself soon after somewhat reckless. It was a little wanton and unfair to bring him back. 
But she was not a saint. She was a woman. And sometimes Bruce was trying. Edith belonged to the superior class of human being whom jealousy chills and cures and does not stimulate to further efforts. It was not in her to go in for competition. The moment she believed someone else took her place, she relaxed her hold. This is the finer temperament, but it suffers most. She would not try to take Aylmer away. Let him remain with his red-haired Miss Argles. He might even marry her. He deserved it. She meant to tell Vincy, of course. Poor Vincy, he didn't know of the treachery. Now she must devote herself to the children and be good and kind to Bruce. At least Bruce was true to her, in his way. He had been in love when they married, but Edith shrewdly suspected he was not capable of very much more than a weak, rather fatuous sentiment for any woman, and anyone but herself would have lost him many years ago, would very likely have given him up. But she had kept it all together, had really helped him, and was touched when she remembered that jealous scene he made about the letter. The letter she wouldn't at first let him see. Poor Bruce! Well, they were linked together. There was Archie, the angel, and Dilly, the pet. She was twenty-eight, and Aylmer forty. He ought not to hold so strong a position in her mind. But he did. Yes, she was in love with him in a way. It was a mania, an obsession. But she would soon now wrestle with it and conquer it. The great charm had been his exclusive devotion, but also his appearance, his figure, his voice. He looked sunburnt and handsome. He was laughing as he talked to the miserable creature, so Edith called her in her own mind. Then Edith had a reaction. She would cure herself to-day. No more flirtation, no more amitié amoureuse. They were going away. The children, darlings, how they loved her, and Bruce. She was reminding herself she must be gentle, good, to Bruce. He at least had never deceived her. She got up and walked on and on. It was about five o'clock now. As she walked, she thought how fortunate she was in Miss Townsend. What a nice girl she was. What a good friend to her and the children. She had a sort of intuition that made her always have the right word, the right manner. She had seemed a little odd lately, but she was quite pleased to come with them to the country. What made her think of Miss Townsend? Some way off was a girl, with her back to Edith, walking with a man. Her figure was like Miss Townsend's and she wore a dress like the one copied from Edith's. Edith walked more quickly. It was the retired part of the gardens on the way towards the Bayswater Road. The two figures turned down a flowery path. It was Miss Townsend. She had turned her face. Edith was surprised, was interested, and walked on a few steps. She had not seen the man, clearly. Then they both sat down on a seat. He took her hand. She left it in his... There was something familiar in his figure and clothes, and Edith saw his face. Yes, it was Bruce. Edith turned round and went home. End of chapter 19